Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Ray. I'm here to give us uh, the Bible reading this morning. And the Bible reading this morning comes from Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 24. That's Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. So Colossians is a uh, letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae, uh, verse 24. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all energy, with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge." I tell you this so that no one may be deceived by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith is in Christ is. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of the world, rather than on Christ. This is God's Word. All right, thank you, Ray. Well, hey, good morning, everyone. It is great to see a full house in here. Uh, we are going to get tucked into Colossians again and, begin, and continuing on in our uh, series here. On the, and, uh, you know, I think uh, I love having a little chat there with people as well, just hearing about uh, people's passions. Uh, you know, I, I wonder if you kind of know you can feel the difference between something that you're passionate about and something that's more of a chore. Or maybe another way to kind of talk about it is actually the difference between a job and a passion. Now, I remember a time when I was uh, studying at uni and, you know, you kind of had to just push yourself hard to work hard to get the stuff done. Uh, you know, in all honesty, you'd rather be out there hanging out with your friends, doing something else, uh, playing video games, whatever it is. But then I remember going back to study. I went, actually went back to study uh, when I was 26. I went back to study at Bible college. Now, the difference between those two experiences of studying couldn't have been more different. You see, for me, going back to Bible college was something that, that I was actually passionate about, that I was 
choosing to go there. I didn't need to go to Bible college in a sense that uh, I had a job, I had a degree already, I had, uh, you know, a life to be out there, I didn't need to kind of get this degree to kind of get somewhere necessarily. But I loved going to Bible college, and I tell you, I worked harder, I studied harder than I ever did at uni or at school. And part of the reason is because of that difference between something that's a job and a passion, something that you believe in, something that you uh, really want to do because you see true value, eternal value in this case, about what you're doing. Now, I think it was really interesting chatting. Uh, you know, I was chatting to Isabel there. who's was telling me about uh, how her work is her passion. And that's sort of the dream, isn't it? You know, it's the old saying that if you're passionate about your work, well, you never really have to work a day in your life. So where do you find your passion? What is the thing that you believe in, that you would sacrifice for, that you enjoy doing, that is your mission in life? Now, today we're actually going to be having a look at Colossians as we uh, continue on in our series, but we'll be particularly seeing how Paul the Apostle, when he describes his, his life, his mission, his passion, we actually learn a lot about him, but more than that, we learn more about his particular passion and, and, and actually the eternal and ultimate value of what he's on about. So you come down with me uh, uh, because we're going to be continuing on. Uh, so last, I mean, last week we saw this astonishing picture, you know, Jesus, the supreme being in the universe, uh, supreme in creation, supreme in sustaining uh, the universe, supreme in reconciling our broken creation, our, our, our sinful human beings like you and me. And then this week, Paul explains how that experience for him, him getting to know Jesus, transformed him, completely transformed, transformed his outlook on life, transformed his goal in life, transformed his passion in life. And, you know, I don't know if you felt that kind of when Ray was reading it out for us, but there was a real sense of which this is Paul's passion. This is the thing that he struggles for. He puts his energy towards the thing that he's willing to suffer for. And I think we're going to find that actually he's going to urge us to have that same passion and mission. So, hey, this is something that he's willing to suffer for. This is his mission. And we're going to find out uh, in this passage three things that I think he talks about. And that are, that's uh, his mission, his method, and his ultimate goal. Okay, his mission, his method, and his ultimate goal. All right, let me see if my clicker is not quite getting there. I'll pass this back to the guys to sort out for us. All right. Let's have, have a read with me from uh, chapter 1, verse 24. If you've got your Bibles open there uh, from verse 24. All right, Paul says this. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God, in its fullness. Thanks. Now, I don't know about you, about uh, whether you suffered recently, but I wonder whether you suffered recently and been actually genuinely able to say that I rejoice in that moment. Man, I rejoice in being sick in bed for a week with COVID, or uh, I rejoiced in uh, 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 failing an exam and kind of going through the stress and the suffering of that. It's not normal to kind of do that, isn't it? It's not normal unless there is a greater purpose that you can see within that suffering. See, uh, in fact, Paul says that actually in his suffering, 
He was finding his likeness to Christ. Do you see that? See, more than anything, he says he's filling up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, uh, exactly what does he mean by that? Uh, If we have a look at uh, these verses here, so it's not that somehow Jesus' wounds, uh, it wasn't enough to totally, say, forgive our sins. No, no, Paul himself is very clear in his own teaching that actually Christ's wounds, Christ's blood for us is sufficient to cover all of uh, the, the sins of the whole world. But notice what he is saying here. What he is saying is that in some way, Paul's got a role in completing the mission that Jesus came for. That as Jesus died to to, to bring about forgiveness for the whole world, that someone's going to go and carry that mission to the whole world. And that's the role that Paul has. Paul was given it directly by Jesus on the road to Damascus. You might know the story. The scales fall from his eyes and he meets Jesus and Jesus commands him to go go and bring the good news to the Gentiles, to the whole the rest of the world. See, Paul is given this task, and, and the interesting thing is he talks about it as though it's a mystery, a mystery, right? So, verse 26, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, when Paul's talking about a mystery, right, he's not talking about, like, some sort of murder mystery, like, who did it, you know, we don't know what the answer is. What he's talking about is kind of like the completed mystery. You get to the end of the movie, and you, and you, the final scene is always kind of the, the detective explains all the events that happen and, and unrolls the mystery for us. In, in that way, that's the way that Paul's talking about it, that the gospel was something that was hidden in the past, but has now been unrolled, un- revealed, unfolded for us fully. You see, there's Old Testament prophecies and allusions that talked about salvation that was going to come to the whole world. Uh, verses like this in Isaiah. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to himself, and to gather Israel to himself. For I'm honored in the eyes of the Lord, and, God, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also... Make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. See, the prophet Isaiah kind of spoke these things to Israel, and it was something of a mystery. No one knew exactly how God was going to achieve this, what this was going to look like. But what was once hidden to the people of Israel has now been revealed. Jesus, the suffering servant, enters into the world, and he brings salvation to the ends of the earth such that we can sit here in a warehouse, in Cooper's Plains, Anglo-Saxon, Asian, subcontinentals, all together because of what Jesus has done and because Paul the Apostle carried that message to the Gentiles. But see what he says there, particularly at the end there, because I wanted to kind of focus on that a little bit. See See what he says there? See what this message is so strong, so powerful? He says that you have Christ in you. That is, you have the indwelling of Jesus, the indwelling of His Spirit within you. Yes, the force that created the universe, the one who holds the world in His hands, the one who brought sinners back into relationship with God. His Spirit lives in you. 
And if His Spirit lives in you, the Spirit, the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the one that lives in, in you too. And so that gives you the hope of glory. This sort of brings us back to that difference between a, a job and a passion, right? Um, Paul's got a really glorious passion, doesn't he? A glorious passion to bring the hope of glory to you and me. Because if the risen Christ is in you, then you will rise with him and you will be clothed with glory. So even the greatest pursuits on earth can't promise you that. Medicine, law, engineering, whatever it is, Good things for humanity, good things for the here and now, but it will never bring you to the hope of glory. Because, see, if Christ is in you, death is not the end. Sickness won't win. Sick and death, deathness, uh, sick, sickness and death always win in our world. Doesn't matter how good you are at your medicine, your patient will die one day. But Paul says, that right here, right now, in his mission to bring this word to the Gentiles is a word that brings a hope of glory, of eternal life. These are the glorious riches of this mystery. That's why this is the ultimate mission, the, the mission that for Paul it's worth suffering for, the, the mission it's worth giving everything for. That's <laughs> really challenging, isn't it? It's challenging. Because Paul says, hey, it requires sacrifice. It requires suffering. If this is the ultimate mission in life, then, hey, don't be held back by your fears. Don't be held back by, uh, by your safety and security. You know, and I think that's my fear for lots of us here today, that, hey, if we, if we just kind of go, well, yeah, God, I'll, I'll, I'll serve you. I'll, I'll, I'll be on board with your mission when, when my career is sorted out. You know, I've got to get, get through, this, uh, through this degree. I've got to get the house ready and, and, the, and, and the kids, you know, I've got to wait to the, the kids, you know, I've got to give them a chance to grow up and have everything that they need. You see, there'll always be something else, won't there? And the truth is, actually, you'll never ultimately find your security because, yeah, as every parent knows, there's always a new challenge around the corner. There's always something that's going to take up more of your time and your energy. So you don't wait till your life's sorted out. See, if the hope of Christ is in you, you also have the hope to extend out to others. Just as Paul received that hope from Christ and he wanted to bring that to the nation, so we do too. We have the ultimate treasure, the riches of knowing Jesus. And that's the ultimate mission, to bring that to the world. See, Paul's mission, man, he was on about proclaiming Christ. You read with me, verse 28. He, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Great little verse there. Gives something of Paul's method. He said, hey, this is my mission. Bring Christ to the world. Well, what does that actually mean? Well... It means proclaiming Christ. Uh, the main verb there is proclaiming. Uh, you'll see it there. That is, that is as we speak about Jesus, speaking about the one who is the ultimate path to salvation. Jesus is the path to maturity. You see, you never just get saved by Jesus and then you move on to bigger and better things, more spiritual things, more whatever it is. See, Paul's saying that you stay with Jesus, you grow with Jesus, you never move on from Jesus. 
Now, I think one of the sad things is that I've actually been to many churches in which they don't actually really proclaim Christ. You know, maybe they sing about him. Uh, maybe Jesus is big in their advertising about their church. But when you sit down and listen to the teaching, you know what it's about? It's about, it's like inspirational life advice. How to live your best life. How to be the, live the victorious life. Now, Paul's very clear. He keeps preaching the crucified Christ. Because people get to know Jesus, know his love, know his mercy, know his forgiveness, know his holiness, his lordship, his supremacy, like we saw last week. See, that will flow through from there onto other parts of our life. And so he says, hey, proclaim Christ. That's his goal. That's his mission. Keep proclaiming him. Proclaiming him. That will lead to maturity in Christ. But then he adds a couple of other bits to it too. He says, uh, two words there, admonishing and teaching. And do it with all wisdom. Right? There's a particular character to your admonishing, to your teaching. So we're just going to break that down for a little moment because uh, admonish is not kind of a usual word that we use very often, a uh, very old school word really. Uh, admonish is really a word to mean to warn or to, to reprimand, right? Uh, for example, uh, my wife admonished me for leaving my socks on the floor again. Hypothetical example, okay? Hypothetical example. Or maybe for you, you know, my parent admonished me for not studying enough. See, I don't know uh, when was the last time that you were admonished or warned or corrected. Uh, maybe you haven't been since you moved out of home, I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe you've been admonished for something at your workplace, I don't know. Well, some of us, you know, we haven't really experienced that. We haven't really done it ourselves so much. And so I actually think that um, our experience in churches is that often we're not very good at it, or we don't do it very well. Now Paul says this, it's important, it's an important part of actually proclaiming Christ and maturing Christians, and so we can't avoid it, even though it's uncomfortable and confrontational. See, maybe you're like me, and you grew up in a real low-conflict family, and you know, we never kind of really did conflict out in the open, it's sort of you know, easier to kind of sweep stuff under the carpet and, and continue in peace and harmony and and no, that's a bad thing. It's a good thing to have that peace and harmony in your family. But Paul says that when you're speaking the truth, an important truth, a truth that saves, well, sometimes you need to warn people. Sometimes you're going to need to correct people. Sometimes you're going to need to lead them back to Christ. See, maybe it's a warning. Well, hey, maybe your work and your career is actually kind of taking you away from Christ. Or it's warning your friend, well, that they've maybe just taken on too much worldly influence upon themselves and they need to turn back to Christ. Maybe it's warning someone against pursuing that boy or girl who doesn't follow Christ. And hey, if you find that real hard and challenging thing to do, well, hey, grab a friend, talk it out with them. Rehearse it with them so that you can do it in a way that's gentle and effective and, and you're ready and prepared for it. Because you also want to avoid the other opposite problem as well, don't you? You don't want to be the person who's constantly, always telling everyone off. You know, maybe again, you grew up in a family like this, you know, you know good old tiger parenting, uh, constantly, you're never good enough, you're always wrong, and we don't want to be that either. See, when Paul says, admonish each other with wisdom, I think that actually means, hey, on one hand, take into account how people feel, but on the other hand, be bold enough to go there because it matters. But then there's that second word there, teaching. 
teaching with all wisdom, right? Teaching, that's what I'm doing now. Uh, it's what happens in our life groups during the week. It's what's happening right now over at Sunday school, at the gym or upstairs. Uh, see, to teach. Teach is uh, to teach about Christ, isn't it? So I'm not here to teach you just some good, new, better life skills to teach Christ, his work, who he is, his character, the hope that we have in him. That's Paul's goal. It should be our goal as well. It should be my goal to draw you in to know Christ, that you walk out of here with your hearts full of thankfulness for what Christ has done for you. But again, you've got to do it in wisdom, in wisdom. The only wisdom in teaching means knowing how to tailor your teaching to be able to reach the people for that you're teaching. See, one of life's great challenges is bringing Christ to a three-year-old. And so, you know, we're going to be praying for Ben and the team to, that, that, I, that I'd be able, to, be able to bring Christ to every age and stage. It's going to be different to teaching uni students or teaching adults. We teach with wisdom. Show how Christ is a better more solid, more beautiful hope than all the promises of the world. To the teenager who's being tempted by, by their peers, to the young adult who's struggling against the aggressive secular nature of their university. Teach Christ with wisdom. But as Paul goes on, what's his ultimate goal? What is his ultimate goal of all this proclaiming, this teaching, admonishing. Well, Paul did give it, give, it, give it to us in chapter 1, verse 20. He wants people to see them fully mature in Christ. And he goes on to explain exactly what that means. Chapter 2, verse 1. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What does he want? What does this maturity look like? He wants to see people encouraged to keep persevering in Christ. He wants to see people united in love in those relationships, caring for each other, physical, emotional, spiritual. We want to see people coming together to, to, to understand Christ and to urge each other on. And he says this so that you would know the riches of complete understanding. Right? He wants you to know the wisdom and tre the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are in Christ. You know, as I've gone on in the Christian life, I'm more and more astounded actually just by the richness of what's there in Scripture, what's there in theology, what's there in Christian books. You never stop learning. And I reckon today there's actually more avenues to learn stuff than I, reckon, than I can remember at any time in my, in my Christian life. You know, there's blogs and websites and, and there's YouTube, podcasts, books, articles that appear on social media. I mean, there is a wealth of stuff that's out there. And if you can delve deeply, delve deeply into the good stuff there that can teach you and point you towards Christ that'll help to found you, to help to mature you. You never stop learning, and that curiosity is a great Christian virtue to have. Growing that you understand and can plumb the depths of Jesus, of understanding the Christian life. In fact, you know, I'm not, I don't think Paul is saying that we all need to go and become theology professors. Because, you know, I reckon sometimes it's the everyday people wrestling with the Word, having read a good book, and then just trying to live that out, 
I reckon sometimes I've seen the greatest insights just from the average ordinary people just talking about their life and relationship with Jesus. Because you're wrestling with it in a real way. It's one of life's great journeys. But you saw that little bit there about being united in love together. Because Paul is saying that actually you do that actually in relationship with others. You know, I was actually reading this. Uh, it was a multi-million dollar study done that was done overseas about actually how do people grow and, and change. And you know what it came down to in the end? More or less, they came down to and they said, well, in our conclusion, I think you need people to be taught really clearly what it is that they need to do and how to live. And they need good, honest relationships around them to encourage them to do that, right? Spent millions of dollars to, to figure that out. Uh, something that I think is uh, not rocket science. In fact, it's something that Christians have been doing for centuries, millennia, actually, really, isn't it? And, you know, I actually hope that that's what our life groups are for this year. And uh, one of my uh, real encouragements has been uh, actually just seeing life groups coming together this week. Uh, and some of the leaders have been throwing up a few pictures of the groups gathering. And I uh, tell you what, I love just seeing these people, these faces, because they're people, they're just getting to know each other often, you know, people, new people joining those groups. Uh, but there's nothing more encouraging than actually just seeing people gathering together, seeing the joy of getting to know each other, seeing as they're preparing to read the Word together this year. Mums, families, uh, YF, you know, young adults, everyone's getting together this week. It's been so good. It's been really good. Now, I just want to say to you that if you're in a life group, in fact, hey, even if you're here on a Sunday, don't make this as just another job in your week. It's not just another thing, an obligation, a duty that you have to do. Actually, in this moment, when you are gathering with others, as we are opening the Word here this morning or in your life group this week, make that your mission for the week. Your mission is there to encourage others, to point them towards Jesus, to pray together. Make that the most important and valuable thing in your week. Not the kind of thing that you just shoehorn around, you know, everything else that has to happen in your week. Make that your mission. Because I reckon as Paul looks out, and as, as, he, would, as he would see his churches kind of across the Middle East growing, as he see them gathering, as he sees them uh, opening the Word and teaching each other, I reckon he sits back and is pleased to see people carrying on the mission, carrying on his purpose for which he came for, which he was appointed. And as I see people gathering around CPE to do that uh, th this last week and the week that's to come, man, I would love to see you all in there, going in there with that same attitude, with the same importance, that this might be the most important thing that I do this week. You see, this is not just a job for the leaders. This is a job for everyone. This is an all-hands-on-deck thing. See, Paul finishes uh, with this wonderful encouragement in these last few verses. So then, to sum up, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. That's his ultimate goal in the end, isn't it? Strong Christians, built up, rooted, planted, deep, established, strong. See, what he's describing is a tree and its roots. 
See, I think too often we concentrate on all the branches and the leaves and the stuff that people can see. That's my life, my work, my ministry, my family. You know, all those things that, 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 that kind of spring out and that's, that's the, the, the picture of my life. But, you know, that only works, it only thrives when it's rooted and when it's rooted well. And if the roots are shallow, then the leaves and branches might look lush for a while, but eventually they'll wilt and die and burn away. If your work, if your family, your ministry is rooted, is driven by your pride, by your desire to please people, by your fear of failure, your tree will die. But if it's rooted in Christ, if it's rooted in His Word, it's rooted in getting to know Him with others, then those roots will grow deep, they will grow strong, and they will build the foundation for a tree that will last, a tree that will bear fruit 50 or 100 times fold. You know, as I've been thinking about us as a church, you know, I don't even think of us as just one tree. You know, we're, we here as a church is an orchard of trees, isn't it? An orchard of trees, a whole flock, a forest of trees that have been rooted in Christ together and is growing and bearing fruit together. So, you know, church, I hope in your thinking, your planning, as you think about your life this year, your goal, your mission, your purpose is to go deep in Christ with others, to build the root system of your faith, to deep down treasure Christ that you might know and love and appreciate the riches that you have in Him, so that the leaves and branches of your life will flourish and the strength of your root system, uh, on the base of the strength of your root system below. And if you're young, if you're a young adult, I hope that this is a year in which you go and invest deeply. You know, I was talking to one of our young adults this week and he was saying how uh, he, he just went to one of his uh, oldest students on campus and just asked him for all the good Christian books that he's been reading. He's got, he's got a pile of Christian books that he's going to dig into and read. And I was talking to a young mom who was saying that she just wants to get started reading her Bible five minutes a, week, a day. Just five minutes, starting small. Because, you know, church, this is, if Christ is the ultimate treasure, then the ultimate mission the ultimate passion, the ultimate purpose of our lives is to grow in Him and to grow others to maturity in Him too. Why don't I pray for us in light of that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, all riches of wisdom and understanding are found in Christ. Lord, all the hope of eternity, the hope of glory is found in Him. Father, I pray that you will help us as a church to value that, to grow our deeps deep, deep within it, that we might together grow and encourage as we teach, as we admonish, as we proclaim Christ to each other. And Lord, as we grow these uh, fruitful trees, these beautiful trees, might that also be a sign to the world of the hope and the glory that we have in Christ. And Father, I pray for each one of us here this morning that we would not see those little moments, whether it's, whether it's the moment over coffee after church, whether it's the moment at life group in YF. Father, we pray that those little moments might be those, those moments in which you work powerfully through us as we strive to grow each other in Christ. And Lord, as we do that, might we, do, might we indeed mature together as your body and bring glory to our head, Jesus Christ. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.